Hello, everyone. I'm Dan Lamoth with The Washington Post. In the second half of this podcast, you heard Ralph emerge as a two-time war hero, two different battles, and you saw Frank really begin to struggle after coming home with alcoholism and a variety of other problems after seeing combat himself. Ultimately, John emerges as a figure later in the war on Tinian. Once again, the voices you've been hearing reading these letters are modern-day veterans. We invited them to join us because so many of the themes you hear here are universal, and because of that, you're going to hear those same voice actors describe their own experiences and how they relate to them. Again, with us we have... Uh, my name is Michael Ball. I joined the Marine Corps as a Korean linguist in 1989, and I retired as a medic from the Air Force in 2013 as a Master Sergeant. I am uh, reading the voice of Ralph in this story. My name is Zach Burgard. I'm a gunnery sergeant in the Marine Corps. Still active, and I've been serving since 2004 as a uh, reconnaissance Marine, and I'm reading the role of Frank. My name is Jeff Chang, and I read the role of John. Uh, I was a Navy pilot, uh, was stationed in Japan, and deployed on the USS Kitty Hawk all over the Pacific. Uh, my name is Brendan Wentz. I play the role of Sanford in the letters. Um, I was in the Army from 2005 to 2014. You have one more character that you haven't heard from yet, but soon will. She is... I'm Rachel Ziegler. I retired from the Air Force after 27 years as a Chief Master Sergeant. Uh, one deployment to Iraq, multiple tours overseas. And I'm reading for Edith. One of the uh, key themes when we look at the second half of this story is uh, sort of the diverging paths uh, that you see when you see Frank and you see Ralph, uh, the two brothers that see combat and uh, really go in very different directions. Um, I was interested in what you guys saw there, um, you know, what it maybe made you think of, um, you know, in your, in, in your experiences, in your service, you know, and, and really just what relates and what doesn't. It's, it's interesting to see that so much is the same uh, from generation to generation, the things that people deal with uh, in war. I spent better part of the last 10 years of my service transporting wounded out of Iraq and Afghanistan, and I've, I've made a career after the military of helping veterans, so I'm still working with them all the time. And you see some people that have been through horrific trauma, and they seem, on the surface at least, uh, to be okay. Uh, other people never went anywhere near combat and they have uh, severe post-traumatic stress. For me, I actually haven't been in my job for the last year and a half to close to two years. I've actually been in the National Intrepid Center of Excellence for or TBI clinic for multiple concussions um, as well as uh, some PTSD stuff. And so reading the letters that Frank had about, you know, I'm still in the hospital, they're not letting me go, you know, I could relate to a lot. Um, and it was very interesting to see the differences and also some similarities. Yeah, I mean, in the same sense that Frank had it, you know, guys go from hero to zero real quick, and it's it's rough to deal with sometimes. Like, we had a lot of guys get out of the military, you know, less than a month after intense fighting in Iraq or Afghanistan, and 
you know, the transition is not always easy and you don't even know what's going on in that guy's head or if his mental aspect has shifted back to being a civilian, you know, non-fighting person. Yeah, I think these letters bring up um, the aspect of reintegration and it's not always the uh, combat experiences that, you know, change people or, or make them suffer from post-traumatic stress or depression or other you know, mental health issues. It's trying to fit back into where they may have come from. And, um, it can trigger other undealt with emotions. Um, I've had my own personal struggles, um, in, in transition and I've looked to some of my friends or peers and yeah, they've kind of, it seems like they were successfully threw things behind them and moved on and became very successful. And so it makes you wonder, well, why can't I do that? But then when you see letters like this, it's it's unfortunate, but it's also comforting at the same time to know like it happens with veterans of every war. One thing that I've seen specific to that is um, technology hurts us in that aspect because you can take a plane from combat zone to California sun in 14 hours, you know, whereas World War II... They took boats back and they sailed back and it took a month. And um, it's easier to decompress with people who've been there in that situation with you, you know, platoon mates, um, other people. And reading these letters, maybe that's why Frank had a rough time is because when he got injured, he got taken out of those guys right away and went back to the States, never having meeting up, meeting up with his, you know, comrades, you know, of other Marines that he fought with. Um, and so, you know, you think back to World War One, World War Two. they sail back and they get that decompressed time with each other. And that's huge, you know. And one thing in World War One that they did was if you see, you know, back in military paintings and renderings of battles in World War One, they would depict emblems, EGAs, Eagle and Anchors painted on helmets or stuck on helmets. That actually wasn't done in the war at all. That was done on the way back to dress up their helmets for the parades. And I think that alone was like taking this helmet, you know, that protected you turning into a piece of flair almost, you know, and going back and for a parade, um, definitely helps more than getting on an airplane flying to, you know, in my case, you know, going from Iraq to Okinawa, it was raining. It was night. There was not a greeting party. And my buddy who got injured, 70% of his body got burned um, on the deployment. He came back out and put a $10,000 bar tab down, and we just got smashed, you know, and went back to the barracks. And that was our little decompress time. And, you know, within, within two weeks, we had guys completely out of the Marine Corps back home in Kansas and Louisiana and, you know, all kinds of places. We didn't have a great decompress time is what it, you know, what it felt like. Um, Mike, you, you, you read, uh, some really hard letters here at playing the role of Ralph, um, you know, Kwajalein Island or, or a two, or, you know, some of his frustrations. And he, I mean, the, the, some of these letters almost seem a little angry when he's describing what he saw. I seem a little angry. <laughs> well, I think he probably was angry. Um, I'd be angry if people were shooting at me. In fact, I was, um, a lot of uh, what you see over there does make you uh, angry. I don't remember um, fear 
over there so much as the times I do remember feeling anger. Uh, for me, it was more anger at not being able to provide whatever it was that the patient needed. Um, I never had uh, an American soldier or Marine uh, die uh, while I was taking care of them, but I did have uh, Iraqi and Af Afghan soldiers and civilians die uh, while I was trying to take care of them and children. And that, thinking about now, that's probably the most angry that I ever was during any of my deployments was when trying to take care of a, a child that was burned from head to toe and uh, trying to get some airlift uh, to get her out of it was Baghdad at the very beginning of the war and uh, just nobody showed up to get her and she, she ended up dying I was just angry and disgusted with that Brendan uh, reading the role of uh, Sanford here um, you see Sanford to a degree become Frank's main touchstone the guy that maybe still tries to understand I feel like anybody who's who's spent some time in a combat zone probably has somebody that they open up to and other people that they shut down with. Um, what did you see when you were looking at uh, what Sanford was trying to do uh, when you were reading the letters that you know were part of your role? Yeah, he was trying to understand, and part of trying to do so was you know remaining objective with him, talking the way they've always talked as brothers, as opposed to you know well you came back a certain way and now you're this warrior veteran or you're uh, damaged or whatever he didn't he seemed to maintain the status quo with their relationship but not in a negative way just talk to him as a person and I think that's sort of a, a very important part with um, you know helping people return from some of these experiences is um, knowing that they don't want to be treated as a certain type they just want to be treated as who they are there's a there's a letter that Sanford wrote that kind of stuck with me where Frank is recently back. He's in the hospital, I think, in Indiana. And Sanford tries to reassure him and, you know, hey, when you get out, you know, we can hang out. And if you want to, we'll, we'll, we'll have a lemonade and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll probably be in the sunlight because I work in a factory and I don't see much sun. But if you want to be in the shade, that's cool, too. And um, it just kind of struck me as like somehow he got it in a way that maybe other people didn't. Absolutely, and it is ironic since he is the one that that didn't deploy. And uh, in reading letters, we know that he himself was maybe not uh, quite what people would call normal, just in some of his mannerisms and behaviors. Um, but again, ironically, he's the one that seems to see when people are struggling with something emotional that they can't quite articulate to other people. Um, as we're looking through this, um, all of the brothers... Uh, talk about their excitement about transitioning. I recall at one point John suggesting to Ralph that they should start a sporting goods store. Um, just really not quite being sure what to do, but wanting to wanting to do something and wanting to have a plan. Um, what has your experiences been with transitioning? <laughs> I retired in November of 2013, and it, it kind of came up a little quick uh, after a back surgery. So I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to continue to work with veterans. Uh, and I've been fortunate enough uh, that I've been allowed to do that over the last few years. Uh, and now I'm the director of a nonprofit that works for veterans. And so I see uh, people going through this transition 
stress all the time. And I honestly don't believe that there is another portion of the population that goes through this type of a transition that goes away for a significant portion of their lives uh, and then comes back and, and has to reintegrate into uh, civilian life and civilian society, whether or not they were in combat. Uh, I think it's very difficult and it's, you know, there's a lot of focus on post-traumatic stress now. Uh, but I think transition stress affects, you know, almost a hundred percent of the military population and their families as well. Um, so that is a, a big part of what I do, uh, is trying to help veterans that are in transition, uh, help them find employment and, and find their way, find out what, what they want to do after they get out. I think a lot of people are, have unrealistic expectations. They don't have the certifications that they need uh, to work in a civilian career field, uh, even if they have been doing something similar. So uh, finding ways to be able to get uh, transitioning military men and women, the, the certifications that they need or the training that they need to get employment in the, in the civilian world is, is a big part of what, what I do. But uh, transition stress is real, and I don't think it's it's not something that makes the news. It's not as big a headline as, as post-traumatic stress or combat stress, but it affects, I think, the vast majority of the military population and their families. So I'm getting my degree. I'm two classes shy of my degree for criminal justice, homeland security, because my goal was, you know, do 20 years as a reconnaissance Marine and get out and be a sheriff because as a reconnaissance Marine is a free fall jump master dive soup or breacher or sniper i have zero marketable skills to the civilian populace you know but what i have found is my seven deployments and you know 13 short years have really given me like an artistic view of the world i found this out earlier this year and i'm going to be going to art school uh next fall um I'm just finding that these like heavy themes that run through civilian world and through military, you know, grief, loss, or, you know, abandonment or, you know, all kinds of these, you know, things that are really hard to verbalize and vocalize, you know, I'm finding, um, success in conveying them through poetry and ceramics or concrete or charcoal and painting. And for me, uh, the military and the Marine Corps, turned in to be my marketable skill in just giving me some of these, you know, sometimes hellacious experiences. Yeah. I, f I feel like when people transition out, there's just not a lot of um, people that, that really get to use their, their creative side. And in fact, that's actually how I got involved in this project it was through an organization that, that really brings out the creative side in, in veterans. Um, but I kind of feel like maybe maybe society emphasizes the technical skills that we might get in the military, whether it's, you know, electronics, aviation, computers, you know, planes, you know, ships, whatever. I mean, th those are nice technical skills, but, you know, some people don't want to do that anymore. You know, I've had enough of it. Um, and I, f I find that kind of interesting, too. I have to, I would say I have to completely agree. Um, there's a certain level of conformity when you're in the military, um, and you're really not allowed to be. I mean, you can be creative, maybe on the job, depending on what you're doing, but you can't really let your true personality shine through sometimes because there's a certain level of expectation that you have to be a certain way. Um, and so, turning to the arts 
uh, is a great way to kind of just find out who you are again, especially if you've been in that environment for so long, you've kind of lost a little bit of yourself. So turning to creative art or acting or songwriting or um, just really anything creative kind of helps you almost like recenter and find yourself all over again. Um, we've really got time for probably one more question. One thing I wanted to hit on, because I, I think it was something that resonated with me and it made me think of my own family and what I was missing. There are so many families that I think don't really know what their grandparents, great uncles, great grandparents, even their fathers and mothers really did in the military. And, you know, it's a good example of like how these stories kind of get away from us. Maybe you got a shoebox of medals somewhere, but you know, what did they really do? What was that experience really like? What do you guys know about your own families in terms of their past service? It's interesting. We were just talking about this uh, before this interview. My, my grandfather's name was Ralph, uh, and he was in World War II. He was ground crew on bombers in England, uh, and he didn't talk much about the war, uh, at least. Or maybe I didn't listen. You know, maybe I, I was... Uh, very young at the time. He died many years ago, uh, and I didn't have the opportunity. And now, looking back at that, I wish I knew more. Uh, I wish I, I knew where he was stationed and what he did and what, you know, uh, Jeff asked me what type of bombers he worked on. And I, I don't know. I wish I did. Uh, I wish I knew more about him and what his service uh, record was. So, you know, if anything, I, I would tell people, if you have that member of your family, your, your mother or father or grandparent that, that has that experience, you know, talk to them now. You try to, to learn about that because when they're gone, you're going to wish uh, that you knew about that, that you had asked. Did this whole experience and what you're seeing here made you think about how you might share your own experiences with people in your family? Because the flip side of this coin is you all served, and someday somebody's probably going to say, hey, I wonder what Uncle So-and-so did, or something like that. I like what is it, the Library of Congress now has this has that new uh, veterans project where they're taking veteran stories, and I, you know, I'd love to share my story. I'd, I'll share it with anybody that's interested, you know, uh, but, you know, if a lot of times I think civilians don't ask or your family doesn't ask especially if they think it was traumatic. Um, so that, that can be a, a barrier, too. You don't just want to start talking about your military experience to, to people that didn't really ask uh, to hear about it. So, Absolutely. I mean, I think um, I've tried a couple times to sort of express it to some of my family members, and it can get mixed responses that make you feel like, well, I might not bother again, you know, based on the reaction um and at the same time though yeah most of us don't want to be um you know the the cranky guy telling war stories that people have heard a million times I'll, I'll probably end up being that uh for my kids when they're older and maybe if they end up joining the military and i'll say how how much uh more trying or difficult my experiences were and um but it it'll i'll try to make sure it's in in jest and fun um i've got four boys and i've done a lot of cool things in the military i've got some neat pictures and cool tabs and stuff whenever i think about my boys joining the military i always think about the merle haggard 
or Waylon Jennings song where it's let them be doctors and lawyers and such. You know, like that's that's the way I feel about it. I don't want boys to join the military. I feel like it was great and honorable and did a lot of cool stuff, but uh, you know, it came with a lot of baggage and uh, ruined a lot of relationships, been in too many funerals and um, you know, physical strain. I'm 31 years old. I'm going through a medical retirement because my shoulders don't work and, you know, can't remember things. I've got migraines that leave me completely debilitated. You know, I don't wish that upon my four sweet little boys, you know. Um, So I don't have those same feelings that some people have where they think about telling stories to their son and comparing stories or listening to how it was for them. Like, I don't want them to join the military at all. You know, I so I come from a military family. My dad was in the Air Force. He did 20 years. He flew F-4s, did a couple tours in Vietnam. Um, I was in the Air Force. My son is in the Marines. So my dad talks about his stories. It took him a while before he started talking about the things that he did. And so now when he talks, I listen. Um, I'm a little more closed when it comes to my stories, I'm learning how to tell my stories, but there are still some things I'm like, I don't know that I can tell you my stories. Um, so I tell the funny stories when I can remember them. Um, and so to get my son to talk about his experiences, he's done a couple of deployments um, on ship out in the Pacific. So I want to hear about those because that's not something that I would experience in the Air Force. So getting him to open up has been a challenge too. So I think it's important that people hear though, 60 years ago, almost that entire generation was either involved in that war or had a family member that was involved in that war. Um, Almost the entirety of the country was affected. Now we have wars in Iraq and Afghanistan that have been going on for 15 years now um, and still a very small percentage of the population. Just several percent of the population has actually served in the military. There are a lot of families, a lot of people that don't have a relative or don't even know anybody who was in the military and don't know what that experience was like and can't relate. Um, So I think it's important that those stories are told, though, so that... You know, this this vast majority of the population that never experienced that knows and uh, does not forget uh, what war is like and what war does to people. That's uh, actually probably a really good spot to leave a discussion like this off. Uh, thanks again, everyone, for participating and, and sharing your own thoughts and experiences. Uh, that That's not always easy. Uh, so I appreciate that, and I'm sure all the listeners are going to appreciate that as well. Stay tuned, everyone, for the conclusion to this story, where we learn how the Eyde brothers fared in the aftermath of the war and the many, many years beyond that. Don't forget, if you're interested in reading more about the Eides, we have a ton of pictures of the family and all of these letters online. You can see them at WashingtonPost.com slash Letters from War. I'm Dan Lamoth with The Washington Post. Thanks very much.